Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond curriculum, beyond programming, beyond best practices, to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that produce disciples of Jesus Christ, who in turn produce disciples. My name is Scott Hughes, and I am the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries. And I'm Steve Manskar, Director of Wesleyan Leadership, also at Discipleship Ministries. Well, today, Steve, we're jumping right into it. Uh, Last month, I was privileged enough to go to the New Room Conference and heard a lot of great talk about Wesley's bands and classes and societies. Last week, I was in Minnesota. I know you were in Minnesota before that. And have had some opportunities to talk with pastors about their small group ministries. And they've kind of confirmed some of the things we've talked about in terms of they do small group ministries. There doesn't seem to be a lot of structure there and not enough emphasis on the Wesleyan roots. And so that's what we're going to get into. And today we're going to focus on the biblical foundations for small groups. And so we'll, we'll each share a couple of passages of where we see small groups kind of jumping out of the page to us. Uh, and then we'll get into a little bit of Wesleyan history that I didn't know about that you'll share. And um, we'll end after that. I'll start and I'm going to go and go to the, the Sunday school answer, the, the bad um, children's sermon answer, which is Jesus. <laughs> right? The, Jesus was a leader of small groups. Right? He had the, the crowd, he had the 72, but he also had the 12. And then within that, he even had had the three. And we see in the Gospels that Jesus and the disciples were the visible embodiment of the kingdom. We see, we see that throughout Jesus' ministry, and we see that as they're gathered around Jesus, God's will is being done as, as healings happen, and as they are growing in love for one another, and, and that's what happens in small groups, at least when small groups are going well, is, is people are growing in love for, for God and for neighbor. One of the pastors I was talking with last week, she was, we were kind of talking about how adults can be sort of unmotivated to, to get into small groups. In fact, she preferred the, the term impact groups for, for her small group ministry. And, you know, she had a lot of people saying how they can find God in nature. And, and her response to this, which I thought was great, is the trees won't ever bring you a covered dish. And That's good. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and it kind of reminds us sort of simply that small groups are where we experience that pastoral care. It's one of the places we, we experience yeah. that. One of the things also that, uh, as I've been doing some reading, George Ladd, a New Testament scholar, he, he says this about the uniqueness of Jesus' ministry. He says that the disciples gathered not around the, the Torah, not around the temple, but around the person of Jesus. And it's just a great reminder that small groups, that's what we're supposed to be centered in, is centered in, in Jesus. And so that, that's my simplistic answer, right, is Jesus. So I'll, that's mine. I'll let you share one of yours. Uh, well, the one, as we were talking about this, what the first one, scripture that came to my mind was um, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, that um, many people will rec- recognize, uh, particularly beginning in the fifth verse where Jesus of course, Jesus is speaking here. This is the Jesus at the Last Supper with his disciples um, in John's Gospel. And in beginning in John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, 
You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers, and such branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. Um, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Okay. So that image of we are the branches, that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. So gotcha. if you imagine a, um, if you've ever seen a, a vineyard and maybe a grapevine. A little that I have, not, not um, up close, maybe from distance. Well, you should go sometime to a vineyard and, uh, and observe uh, what, a, what a grapevine looks like. And these grapevines get really big and they can get really, really old. Um, and they're often propped up in right. different ways on, yeah. on trellises, and, and they, they do get really, really big. And if you look closely at the vine and the branch, you see, you know, the branches are all wound around the vine gotcha. and around each other to the point where you can't tell where one begins and another one ends. Wow. That they're, they're, so, that's, they're so close to one another but they all need each other in order to produce the fruit. That's the purpose of the vine is to produce, you know, grapes for wine and grape juice and grape jelly and all kind of good uh, stuff. All kinds of good stuff. Yeah. There's never a vine with just one branch. It's always, you know, many a multitude of branches. What that tells me is that for us to to do what Jesus told us, to, you know, to bear fruit we need, first of all, to be connected to him, and the way mm. we're connected to him is we're also connected to each other. And that's the kind of relationships that happens in small groups. Because yeah. if, if all we do is expect people to show up for worship, you know, for that big event every Sunday morning, as important as that is, sure. but if that's all people do, they're not going to be formed as disciples of Jesus Christ. Right. They're going to be those branches that he's talking about here that they may grow for a little while, but they're never going to bear fruit and they're going to be cut off and, you know, they got to start all over again. To be formed as a disciple means to be in, you need to be in relationships in which you build trust and love with one another. Absolutely. Um, and that happens in small groups. Yeah. Um, and that's what Wesley understood very well from his own personal experience. Sure. Um, so that image of that Jesus, and then Jesus goes on in this text down into the 12th verse, okay. where he gives us, and, th he, and this is, he's repeating this, because he's already said it in the 13th chapter. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's an important qualifier. Yes, <laughs> that we love one another as I have loved you. So the way that we love one another is to do, is to meet together in small groups mm. to help each other make sure we're doing what Jesus told us to do. And I, I'm gonna, I'll say more about that in the next. Okay, yeah, fair enough, text. that's good. That's such a great image, uh, especially of looking up close and seeing them sort of intertwined and the, the messiness, I think, of small groups is, you know, it's, we can kind of idealize what small groups look like, but we know once you get up close and personal, there's some, yeah. it can be kind of messy, but that, that's part of it. All right, so my next one, I'm, I'm going back to Jesus. Um, this time, the, the post-resurrected Jesus, 
uh, the Emmaus Road experience. Right, as the, the two are walking and they experience uh, fully the, uh, the presence of Christ, the risen Christ, and, and of course at first they don't recognize him. They're, they're going on their way, um, and as they do so, and, and Jesus opens up the scripture to them, and he, and he does so very holistically, kind of puts into to perspective what he's done in his ministry and to, to all that God has done. Um, I like this quote that, that says that the Christian small group is the micro-story-formed community, even where only two are on the road together with Jesus. And I, that phrase is just a, a pregnant phrase there, micro-story-formed community. Mm. And, and when small groups are going at their best, that's, that's what's happening is we're being participants in the story uh, of God and what he is doing in us and through us. And I, and I also like that Jesus sort of uh, all of a sudden sort of appears for who he is, you know, as they're going on their way. And I just think about the small group experiences, or at least the one that I'm, I'm currently in I'm at the church I attend, where, you know, when we come time of the prayer request, it's people are moving, kids are having trouble in school, uh, people, you know, traveling with their jobs. And so as we're going about life and doing life together, that sort of mysteriously the risen Christ uh, appears among us. Mm. And, and mm -hmm. so in, this is verse uh, 31, right? When their, their eyes were open, they recognized him, right? And that, that's what happens in great small group experiences is we find the presence of Christ is, is here among us. Mm -hmm. um, so when, going back to Jesus, this time the risen, the risen Christ uh, for my second scripture. Well, that, that's really, there's a lot in that. Sure. Um, um, and it's, I think that's an important uh, text to, to remember. Uh, my, the, the second one that comes to my mind um, is uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 19 through 25. And I thought of this because it, it's, there's, John Wesley quotes from oh, okay. this, uh, from the, the 21st, 24th, uh, verse in one of his sermons that I've been doing a lot of work with lately. Um, and it's, uh, for, for those listening, it's sermon number 92, titled On Zeal, and I highly recommend it to you. Probably uh, not the one that's thought about the most, right? And that probably, one sort of gets tucked away a little bit. No, it's, it's not considered to be one of the so-called standard sermons. Sure. Um, but it is an important sermon nonetheless. Uh, if anything, for one paragraph that's towards the beginning of the sermon in which Wesley describes how Christians are made. It's what I call the method of Methodism contained in this one paragraph. Wow. Um, in which through he describes these five, he starts with the goal. With, uh, he says, um, in a Christian, love is seated on the heart and reigns without a rival love of God, and that love is the love of God, love of people, love, love of your neighbors. Right. Um, it's, it's that self-giving love embodied in Jesus Christ that, that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. Sure. Um, and then he says, in a, 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 a circle outside that love is all holy tempers. Mm, that's an interesting phrase. Um, which, that's a phrase that most people don't use today, um, but it's very important to understanding Wesley and our, the Wesleyan way of making disciples is right. 
Because if the goal is love, the way that love is formed in us is through the formation of what Wesley calls holy tempers. And a way for us to understand what he's talking about there is that they're holy habits. Yeah, that's not And they're, they're habits that, and what the habits are is what the Apostle Paul describes as the fruit of the Spirit. Now, my first text was Luke 15, in which he's talking about bearing fruit. Okay. And the fruit that Jesus is telling his disciples to bear is love. Um, and so love is the first fruit of the Spirit. Um, and there's, what, nine fruits of the Spirit um, that, that are basically holy, what, Wesley, what, what I would call, what Wesley calls holy tempers, but we, they're holy habits. Okay. Love, joy, sense. peace, patience, kindness, generosity, self-control, and I, for, I know I'm forgetting a couple others, but... Self-control is always the one that comes to mind because yeah, it's the one I'm the worst at. That's the last one. <laughs> um, but they're important in that they're, they're a reflection of the character of Jesus. So then Wesley continues, the next circle is all works of mercy. Okay. And, it's, and he, he says, through the works of mercy, the holy tempers are exercised mm, wow. and perfected. And that's how they do, are developed is when we engage in the works of mercy. Um. And he also says here that the works of mercy are also means of grace, just as much as what is normally regarded as the means of grace, which is contained in the next, the fourth circle out, which okay. are the works of piety, gotcha. you know, prayer, worship, sacrament, um, scripture, sure. yeah. um, fasting. That, that's what he names here is the, the, those works of piety. And so it's the practice, and, th and those are the practices that God has given us in order to participate in our relationship with God, both personal and social. Um, and then the last circle, getting to the text in <laughs> Hebrews. Wesley sa you know, says, is the church. Okay. And it's in the church. The church is the context, the community in which all of this, where we learn how to practice the, about the works of piety, the works of mercy, and as we're as we habitually practice works of piety and mercy, the holy habits are formed in us, and then that love, that perfect love, that mature mm -hmm. love, okay. that yeah, self-giving yeah. love, is formed in us, and we become like Jesus. That's the goal. Um, and so Wesley says something like, because I don't have it right in front of me, but that Christ formed the church in order that his followers may more effectually provoke one another to love mm. holy habits. He says holy tempers, but I'll <laughs> say holy habits and good works. So, so that's Hebrews 10, 24. And he can, the, the writer of Hebrews then continues, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, and all the more as they see the day approaching. So that Hebrews 10.24, I'll just summarize it, writes, the, the writer of Hebrews says, and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Yeah. 
And I've always heard that as applied to don't stop meeting together as in get your butt in worship. And worship, <laughs> I think, is probably part of it. Sure. But I think more so is meeting together with a small group of other Christians. Agreed. Yeah. Because absolutely. in worship, you're not provoking one another to action. That's what provoking means is to incite others to action. And we don't usually hear the word provoke being used with love. No, that's true. Right? That's, that's great. Yeah. So I, I love that phrase, provoke one another to love and good deeds. Um, and that's what happens in small groups that meet yeah. together weekly in order to, to make sure that to help each other, make sure we're doing what Jesus told us to do to love one another and to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. And the way we do that is through the practice of the works of piety and the works of mercy. Gotcha. And so an important thing that needs to happen in small groups in the Wesleyan way to spend time when together in, in our small groups. Provoking each other. To provoke, to, <laughs> to say, are you doing what Jesus told us to do? How are you, you know, what did you do this week? And what did you not, what did you fail did to you do? do? Yeah, sure. And then, you know, I would share what I did and what I failed to do. And that's what I think, that's what it means to provoke one yeah. another to love. Yeah. Um, and that's really good because I think sometimes we think it's only about what we didn't do. Yeah. Right, and I think that's part of the fear people have of small groups. It's, oh no, I've got to go and confess all my sins and say what I'm not doing. But also the, you know, what did you do? Where where did you show acts of compassion? Where where did you do certain things that uh, I think could be very encouraging and pro really provoke us to love instead of, in some cases, provoking to shame. Right. Yeah, that's good. Um, was that was that in was that yeah, I'm gonna stop you there? No, that's good. Uh, really good stuff there. Um, and I'm sure there's others, right? And we could talk about Acts 2 and, and how they live oh, together. Oh, yeah, there are, there are plenty of others. We just don't yeah. have time to right. and be so exhaustive here. For our listeners, I hope you'll interact with us and share some of your favorite passages. What would we overlook? Uh, what, what are your favorite passages that go with small group? I hope you'll let us know. Um, before we get to the practical applications, I, I want to ask you, Steve, because you mentioned something the other day that was new to me that I had not heard of. I'd heard of the bands, the classes, societies, but you mentioned the trial bands. How, how did those fit into the Methodist method of salvation? Um, well, the trial bands were small groups of people who were interested in becoming Methodists. Okay. It's where they could meet with a Methodist leader uh, um, in order to, the way I like to put it is it's where, trial band is where people tried on Methodism. Oh, interesting. Okay. You could try it on to see if it fits you um, and see what adjustments you need to make because the society wasn't going to change for you. Aha, uh -huh, interesting. You need to make adjustments to see if this is really for you. Because to understand the trial ban, first of all, you need to understand this was for Methodist societies that were not congregations. Methodism at this point was not okay. a denomination. Yeah, it was a network of religious societies that existed alongside the Church of England. 
to provide leaders in discipleship for the church. And so by the very nature of Methodist societies, like other religious societies, that they were highly disciplined, even exclusive communities of people who were serious about being and living as disciples of Jesus Christ. So the purpose of the trial band was to make sure that before these people were allowed into the society and placed in a class meeting, they wanted to make sure that they were serious about this, that they weren't just going to go in and be curious and try it out for a little while and then eventually, and then may perhaps have a bad influence on the people in their class. Oh, interesting. So the, the trial band was simply a place that they would meet for a period of months with a class leader, um, and they would, it was sim probably similar to a class meeting in which okay. they, they would, you know, give an account of how they were um, following Jesus, um, shaped and guided by the general rules, by sort of. doing no harm um, and avoiding evil, um, by doing good <clears throat> to as many as they can, as often as they can, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, um, uh, visiting prisoners, caring for sick people, you know, do, doing good works, you know, loving their neighbors as themselves by those two, following those two general rules. And then the third, um, by practicing the ordinances of God. Um, the public worship, you know, right, being regular in attendance and worship on Sunday morning, receiving the Lord's Supper, um, participating in the ministry of the Word, listening and hearing the Word of God proclaimed and taught, um, uh, personal and family prayer. Wow, and this is pretty exhaustive. Searching the Scriptures. And this was just to get back fasting. in. fasting. <laughs> That's to get in. I mean, it really is an intentional way of demonstrating Right, and, and before they would be, after a set time, say three months, the class leader and probably the local preacher or Mr. Wesley, John Wesley himself, or Charles Wesley, would examine the people. Wow. And say, yeah. to, to, to affirm that yes, indeed, this person is ready to become a Methodist. Yeah, it sort of reminds me the... You know, pastors are called to determine readiness for baptism, and right. you know we've got to. So, in a way, the trial meeting, the trial band, was a form of Methodist catechesis. Yeah, absolutely. Of you know, teaching people the practices of method of being a method, a Christian in the Methodist way. Yeah, that's a good way to put that. Yeah, um, and seeing if you, they were willing and ready for that level of Christian discipline. Mm. That's really interesting. I mean, I, you know, as, and as you talked about, that was part of when Methodism was a movement. <laughs> right. And, exactly. And, and maybe something like that will help us recover that sense of movement instead of kind of institution. Um, and, and I'm not sure what that might look like, but that might be a... Well, I think a, a good parallel for today would be if local United Methodist congregations were to reclaim the practice of the catechumenate. Okay. In, in a way of as the way of preparing people for baptism and, wow. and church membership. Yeah, and it, doing that in a much more, um, a, a 
much more thorough yeah. and intentional and probably a longer process than what is typically practiced today in local congregations. Yeah, just sort of the, the longer road instead of the quick road right. to getting people on membership roles. Uh, well, that's good. That's really interesting. Like I said, I was not familiar with that, so I appreciate your, your insight in sharing that. So some quick takes in terms of practical applications from what we've heard. Um, uh, some that come to my mind are in your small groups, take a break from curriculum. Just engage scripture. Take some time to, to not, not have a curriculum. It's a whole lot cheaper anyway. Let's just dig right into scripture. That, that may create some chaos. to read different interpretations. But maybe back to that image of the vine, you know, maybe we'll begin to be intertwined in some, some good ways. Um, any other practical applications? You've named some already with the going back to a catechumenate and um, being more intentional in terms of getting people into membership, but I think it's a good one. Um, anything else come to mind? Uh, well, one thing is the, the adoption of a rule of life. Oh, you're right. For, you know, in my, the writing I do about small group ministry on the congregational, for the whole congregation, is I encourage congregations to adopt a rule of life for that that shapes the life of the congregation, and uh, there's several purposes of that. One one is to 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 create a culture of discipleship and mission mm -hmm. in the congregation. Back and, to that intentionality. And we we have a rule of life as United Methodists, and I just was I just described it a few minutes ago as right. the general rules. Um, so that that so. It makes sense to me that as United Methodists, that our rule of life as a congregation is the general rules. Yeah. Um, for a number of reasons. One, it, you know, it's, it's our historic rule. Sure. And its purpose is to shape the life of the congregation to make sure that we're doing what Jesus did, told us to do. Yeah. Um, to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbors as ourselves, and to love one another. And that's what, that loving our, one another, that's what happens in small groups mm. and in worship, but more important, more thoroughly in small groups. And so if the congregation has a rule of life, then when small groups meet, whether they, they meet to do some Bible study or they're discussing a book or a topic, they could set aside 15, 20 minutes at the end right. of the meeting to check it, you know, maybe pair off with accountability partners That's good. I like that. to give an account of how they've followed the rule of, you know, the general rules yeah. um, in their daily lives since they last met. What have they done? You know, how have they avoided, how have they done no harm? How have they done good? How are they doing with prayer? Um, attending worship, searching, you know, reading and studying and meditating with scripture. Um, did they fast? Well, there's a forgotten one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't like, we don't like that yeah, So spend a little time during the, yeah. at the end of a meeting or at the beginning or something, you know, spend some time together checking in with each other about what we're doing yeah. to follow and do what Jesus told us to do. Yeah, I like your idea of doing that in partners. And I think within a group setting, especially in our culture, that might invite a lot of shame and, and guilt. And, right. and so I think that's I think that's important. 
Um, well, I hope our, our listeners will interact with us. I hope they'll, they'll find us on Twitter. They'll find our email addresses um, at the umcdiscipleship.org website. Uh, for those looking for me on Twitter, it's Rev Scott Tweets. I'm also at UMC Adult Form. Where can they find you on Twitter, Steve? I'm at S Manskar, so that's at S-M-A-N-S-K-A-R. Yeah, so I hope they'll interact with us, and we've got some, some giveaways for, for those who interact with us. Tell us what questions you have about small groups. What, what sort of topics would you like for us to address? I hope you'll interact with us, and, and we'll send some, some swag and some goodies and maybe even Steve's new book on covenant discipleship, maybe. We've got a new book coming out, and we're going to give some of those away. So. Awesome. Well, I'm going to close us with a prayer, and this prayer comes from the service for class leaders. That's in our order of worship. So let's pray. Most gracious God, grant us wisdom tempered by your love and courage tempered by your justice so that Jesus Christ might be honored and served by all to the furtherance of your coming reign on earth as it is in heaven, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.